Instagram is largely like swimming in a pool with people you know. TikTok is like swimming in a giant pool with people you don't know. And some of them are mean. Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports, media, disruption, all different kinds of things. And we've been doing it with my co-host, Tom Richardson. I'm Joe Favorito for seven years as we get to the final day of June 2023. So Tom, where does the time go? Um, it's actually seven and a half, Joe. Remember that first one was in That's December. Right. So we got the first six months. Well, here. The first that, one we ever did, by the way, we had to do twice because we screwed it up. Yes. Well, we didn't know what we were doing. You know, that was that was talk about a, a homegrown approach to podcasting, which we're going to get into today. Um, but yeah, no, we've had just had a, like a string of really fun shows and we got another one today. And it's a reminder to us and to all the folks in the program and everybody in the business who's paying attention that there's just an endless number of great stories to be told, great perspectives to be shared, great insights to be offered. And you and I are both students of um, the business, so to speak. And it's it's a great joy. It's one of the joys of my life. I, I really enjoy doing it. It's been a pleasure working with you for so long and so closely. So speaking of joy... <laughs> oh, that a, was really what clever an amazing of me. transition Tom. inadvertently I clever of me to say it that way yeah, so <laughs> uh, our guest today um has had really a multi-pronged career broadcaster teacher instructor um life coach uh has recently written a book has a a podcast does a blog involved in a lot of different things really around finding the good in a lot of things and and taking life's experiences of made of lemons and making lemonade out of them. Um, she lives near beautiful Amelia Island. Um, so Rachel Barbeau, veteran sportscaster, veteran reporter, now author and, and like I said, life coach. Welcome to the Cusp Show. Oh, thank you so much for having me, guys. We, if, if, if people could only hear our banter beforehand, it was, it was lovely and it was great. And it's, it's often the pre-show stuff that's the best, but Hey, we'll try to replicate that. Yeah. Maybe, hey, Rachel, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a whole new angle in podcasting where you actually just record the pre-show stuff and don't actually do the podcast. I mean, it, <laughs> you know what, what somebody told me a long time ago, they said uh, that was helping with marketing. They were like, no, no. People are dying from the, the behind the scenes stuff. Like they want to know like how you get there and what you're using and all. And I was like, really? And this was like 10, 15 years ago. I'm like, really? And he's like, yeah, like really? Um, it's I, And I catch myself doing it. When you look at somebody on social media, you'll zoom into their, you know, their room. You'll see what's behind them. Like you're, you know, we're peeping. We're like, we've got some like level of peeping Tom in all of us. <laughs> That's funny. I was thinking that last night. Just and and I'll I'll segue into to a question. But Joe and Rachel, I don't know if you happen to see the latest installment of the match, the golf tournament, the special event golf tournament. They did one on yeah, last night or this week. Yeah, last night. Uh, I I thought it was highly entertaining. Uh, the Kansas City Chief guys, Mahomes and Kelsey, playing against Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. And to Rachel's point, the best part was they were mic'd literally the whole time. Plus, they allowed a couple of the guys on the uh, on to walk the course with them to provide random commentary, including Draymond Green, who's become an enormous media celebrity through podcasting, and then Von Miller. And just that behind the scenes stuff never fails to deliver 
fun, unpredictable moments, including some, I don't know if you saw any of the clips from last night, it's worth looking at. Um, some of it actually kind of was a bit of a blowout early on, but the behind the scenes aspect of it was really fun. So Rachel, maybe to start, it would be interesting to hear your perspective um, with the way your career advanced and how media changed along the way, because you mm -hmm. lived through such a consequential time over the last 20 years mm -hmm. coming out of Auburn and getting into the business and having so many interesting gigs and being a pioneer in a bunch of these areas, but it also paralleled enormous changes in the world of, 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 of television media and broadcasting. So can you just kind of take us through that history and, and make some references to the, the bigger picture along the way? It's a fascinating question, actually, and it's one I haven't really been asked. So kudos to you on that. Yeah, if I look at it in the totality of it, um, if I look at the, the, the totality of it, I saw the the rise of Me Too. I saw was before that when I was told I I and others um, at a at a particular job I had went through sexual harassment, and I was told by my male mentors that and it, it broke their heart. But they said if you do this, you'll probably be very rich, but you'll never work again. And that is a and that was before Me Too. I remember when I started in radio and I, I really pride myself on being a woman in radio. There was a lot of women on sidelines in other places, hosts, but not on radio, three, four hours talking sports. And I pride myself on that. But I remember when we first started, there were times we didn't have the internet, like, you know, like with newspapers, you know, and, right. and we would, you know, we would, uh, uh, you know, we would uh, have to research in the morning and that's what happened. And, you know, and then I saw the advent of like Twitter really being ushered in and, you know, social media and, and all of those things. So I've seen it change. And where I love where media is now is I remember when I was in Columbus, Georgia and trying to go national and kind of making my way that way. I remember I was told that I was too Southern. My accent was too Southern and that it was a, a detriment to me. So I remember I, I had a lady over and I paid her and she did voice lessons with me. So it wow. was like, you know, it was that white car over there. You know, she taught me to clip my words. And and now you look at, you know, um, uh, you know, there's different people on ESPN that are that are, you know, very Southern. And I, I just see it across the board where people are encouraged to be themselves and be zany, be real, be most of all, be authentic. And so some of the stuff that I was doing just some of the stuff, even showing my outfits and the sidelines and where did I get that? Some of that stuff I didn't realize, but I was kind of ahead of the curve. And honestly, it made people uncomfortable um, when I was doing it. I remember there was one particular producer I had, his wife was a was in news, like television news. And some of the things that I did and said, I, I think it like irked her, but watch, you know, two, three years later down the road and women were doing the exact same thing and encouraged for it. So um yeah, I've, I've I've seen a lot, and I wouldn't have thought about it that way, Tom, if you hadn't asked that question. So take us through some of the stops and the things you learned along the way, and more importantly, tell us a little bit about the book so we make sure that, that, that we're talking about how this has all kind of come together. Yeah, so I, I started, a, uh, very briefly, I started, I thought I was going to be a general assignment reporter at Auburn, and then I quickly realized I could not do house fires and car wrecks. I am way mm. too sensitive, way too empathic, way too sensitive. And so I, I started working at the campus TV station and I got, you know, I don't believe in coincidences, but I got sent out to do a, a, an assignment with the baseball team. I was a diamond doll, was always a sports fan. 
And it was kind of like the clouds parted and the sun shone through. And it was like an aha moment, like, oh my God, I'm going to do sports, you know, I'm going to do this. And then I got sent on the assignment for a sideline uh, football game, huge SEC Auburn football game. I think they were playing, you know, uh, Syracuse and it went to, uh, it went three overtimes and I caught the bug and never looked back. And so from that moment forward, I sportscasted for 17 years. I rose up, I went a, I went a different route. I bet on myself. I did not go into traditional news. I did an internship there, but a friend of mine named DJ Jones said, I'll put you on my sports talk show Tuesdays and Thursdays. Come on. And it wasn't like a 10 minute hit. He had me on all three hours. I mean, he took a, he took a risk on me. And then from there, I just kept freelancing and freelancing and, uh, and yeah. And, and worked my way up and ended up uh, alongside Cordell Stewart in Atlanta uh, in the afternoon drive slot, which, as we know, is coveted. And then from there, became the first female host on Sirius XM um, on their collegiate channels. I vote for the Heisman, hosted the first ever college football playoff game for the first five years uh, the, since the inception of that. And a ton of freelance jobs along the way. But I, I really chose to bet on myself versus having the, uh, the, the dependability of a paycheck every week. And I would not tell that is not for everybody it is absolutely not for everybody because there were a lot of times where you know my my butt cheeks were puckering you know like I was very (laughs) very nervous you know I uh very nervous ate a lot of ramen noodles you know had to sit 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 on the side from things but yeah it 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 was a beautiful long run and in 2016 I started something called I'm changing the narrative and I've been doing that for seven years and it got so big that I quit sports casting in 2019 and yes, I just wrote a book. It's called Relentless Joy, Finding Freedom, Passion, and Happiness, Even When You Have to Fight for It. And I'm proud to tell people it is not a fluffy book on joy. It's not a happy-go-lucky, fluffy book. It's on addiction and loss and depression and and mental health. And there's joy and, and how there's joy in, in, in the midst of all of those things and the loss of my parents and losing all my worldly possessions and and crawling back from those things. I did not want to write a happy-go-lucky book because it's not a happy-go-lucky world. Mm. Wow. Can I, can I, before we delve a little bit more into the book, I just, this is a question I, I think is quite interesting for folks who, like you, live through this world of, of web two when social media and mobile became so big in, in the mid to late aughts, that folks like you, talent, on-air talents, um, commentators, broadcasters, etc., had to eventually deal with the reality of the social media pressure that came upon this industry really hard at a certain point. So I'm curious, at what stage did you realize personally that it would it would behoove you to to jump in to the social platforms to develop, as you said, you're betting on yourself, and this idea of self promotion is part of that. Uh, at what age did you kind of discover that? And then at what age did you, or or how much later do you, do you feel, if I assume you did at some point, pressure from any employers or would-be employers about how you were doing your social? So it's, again, you're just hitting it out of the park with these questions, but uh, I I jumped on it from the very beginning. Twitter was my number one. And, and the crazy thing about Twitter is people have followed me from job to job. So even if I wasn't you know, broadcasting on their team anymore. I went from you know, Georgia to Alabama or wherever it may be, or, you know, it, it, and they followed me. So there was that um, yesterday, and this blew my mind, a friend of mine who is a professor at LSU 
did a class on his top six best examples of branding. And I was one of them. And like Ryan Reynolds was also one of them. And wow. like, you know, like really, really famous. And I say that to say I was blown away. But I also say that to say is I've always been cognizant of branding, always been cognizant of branding. And I think the number one thing for me is I've been cognizant that what I'm putting out there is who I am. Right. You are not you're not going to catch me cussing out a Delta agent. You and and if I'm having a bad day, I'll go back and apologize. You're not going to catch me, you know, doing things that are that who you see basically on social media is what you get. I laugh at myself. I show myself without makeup all the time. Like I don't I don't use filters. I have recorded some of my most intimate horrible moments and I, I met a guy once that said I was meeting with he and his wife because they have a foundation. And he said, you didn't know this, but when you lost your mom and you were in your prayer closet and you were just gutted, he said, you didn't know me, but I prayed for you. And mm. I was like, what? Like, no, no. so that's the power of social media. And what I teach people all over the country is authenticity is key. And stop trying to show people this curated view version of your life that is not true. It's mm -hmm. not true. Mm -hmm. You know, that old adage of you see the apple and you got the pretty front part of the apple and it's got the mirror behind it and it's got the you know bite bitten out of it. I just decided a long time ago that I'm going to show you my good, my bad, my happy, my sad. And I truly have heard over the years, that's why people like me, because they know that I'm real and they can relate to me. Yeah. Did you ever get pressure or influence from the companies that hired you about how to do social media? Oh, it's again, good one. Uh, I had an agent one time. Uh, he wasn't an agent. He was in the sports business world and, and dealt with brands. And he said, be less loud, be less Latina, less colorful, more beige. Wow. <laughs> and, and I, 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 uh, and so my last name is Barbo. I was I was adopted by my dad, but my family name is Cifuentes. And so um, uh, we have Colombian and Peruvian and Mexican, Mayan, some Spanish, Jewish, I mean, all the things. So, you know, that would have been a whole nother. I've often thought about that. If my last name was Cifuentes, like it, what it would my journey have been different. So there's yeah. that people look at me and know I'm something, but they can't figure out like what my ethnicity is. So that was interesting. I, I did adhere to that for a little bit. And then I said, heck no, I'm not adhering to this. I am who I am. And what makes me amazing is what makes me is that I'm different. And that, you know, God didn't, whatever you believe, I'm inclusive. But for me, it's God. Like he didn't mess up on the day that I was born. He didn't like, you know, take the day off the day I was born. He made me to be who I am. So I pretty much told that person, you know, respectfully to, to can it, you know. Rachel, you've shifted careers and I'd like you to talk a little bit about your current yeah. kind of day job yeah. on the coaching side, but how did you know when? And one of the things we talk about a lot is sometimes the path chooses you and mm -hmm. you have to have enough courage to walk down the path and either you're walking into a wall or you end up on the yellow brick road, but you don't know as you're going down the path. Mm -hmm. um, how did you know when to move from place to place and without saying, oh, I got fired, so I had to leave? Um, but um, when did you know? Was it something intuitive? Was it something that you saw? I mean, how did you make those determinations when you pivoted your career? Okay, first of all, can I just come back and do this with you guys on a regular basis? Because y'all are like asking questions that they're <laughs> just deep and insightful. And I'm like, dang, like we could write another book out of based on this interview. But um, yeah, it's you also said the path chooses you. 
And let me say something to your listeners, how fortunate you are if the path chooses you. Mm. There are so many people out there that are walking around and they're miserable because they don't have the courage to leave a dead end job. They don't have the wherewithal or the desire to get up 15 minutes early and learn a new skill on YouTube. They don't have enough courage or whatever it takes, you know, balls, whatever it is to go for it. So they're miserable and they're making their partner miserable, their family miserable. They're yelling at the person in you know, the grocery store checkout line. They're cursing people out in traffic. And I'm telling you, if you know what sets your soul on fire, how fortunate are you? If you know what that path looks like, or even have an inkling of what that looks like, how fortunate are you? And for sure, um, my path chose me. Um, I saw a problem, you know, in college athletics, and now it's expanded out to, you know, halfway houses, prison ministry, border patrol, law enforcement, corporations, churches, wherever they'll have me, um, high schools, K through five, but it started in athletics. And, uh, and, and, and I always thought I'd be a sportscaster. I thought I'd be a sportscaster and just do these talks on the side, but y'all, it got so big and so encompassing and, and it, it, it consumed me. I mean, just ask my husband, you know, he's been with me seven years. He's like, you know, he, he gets it. This is a calling. It's, I can't not do it. But the last year in 2019, I fought it. I fought it. I fought it. I fought it. I, I tried to get, you know, uh, increase up the ladder um, in, in sports casting. And they were jobs that I should have, you know, with my resume should have easily gotten in my reputation. Cause I think reputation is huge. People know that I'm a hard worker. I'm easy to work with and I'm passionate. And so that, that got for, for anybody that's listening, it wasn't necessarily my skills that got me into a lot of jobs. It was some of my skills. It was mostly my reputation because if you're difficult to deal with and you're lazy and people know that, and you're hard to work with, that stuff gets around about you and people will not hire you. So I always say this, you step on somebody on the way up, those people will come back around to you. You mm -hmm. help somebody on the way up, that will also come back around to you. So I knew for the last year, but I was running from it. Uh, and finally, in uh, I lost my mom May of 2019. I had a dark night of the soul, a trigger warning, uh, where I contemplated taking my own life in July. I began to talk about that, and I'm changing the narrative not soon, not long after, and it blew the lid off of a movement that was already very successful. Um, and then in that fall, I hosted a mental health game between Minnesota and Maryland, the, the first ever mental health game between two Big Ten teams, national, all week long promotions, uh, all things, you know, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a helmet sticker. It was a very intensive thing we did involving the fans and the whole nine yards. And uh, I was flying to Mexico the next day to go on a healing trip. The, uh, the last place my mom and I had gone on a girl's trip by myself. And I was sitting next to this guy in the airplane. I just started bawling. And I, I knew it was time and I'd already had it written out my notes app and I finished it and I, I sent it, I sent it to my agent and I said, it's time. And he, he had been telling me, wait, wait, wait till the, you know, just wait a little bit longer. And, uh, and so I sent it and I retired 33,000 feet in the air. The poor fella that was sitting next to me on the plane was probably like, <laughs> what is going on with her? Right. Um, but I retired. I sent my bosses at, at Sirius, you know, the most probably incredulous, unbelievable email. And it was like, I, you know, I quit, not I quit, but I'm, I'm, I'm leaving after this season. And they were like, really, you know, like you're employed, you know? like, yeah. you're not fired. You're people employed. don't do this. Right. People don't mm -hmm. do this. And I did it. And, uh, and then the pandemic happened and I thought, 
okay, did I really hear you right, God? Because <laughs> yeah. I just lost every speaking engagement I had. But no, it was a right decision and and how fortunate people are if if they have a calling and they need to find the calling. Yeah. So what was the impetus to write the book and how did you actually start that journey? Because it's a hard thing to do. Um, just talk about the process. Yeah, process is two and a half years. Uh, I really loathe people online that are telling people, Write a book in two weeks. Write a yeah. book in a weekend. Yeah, Use Chat GPT. You can do it even yeah. faster. Well, there is that. <laughs> but the, you know, if you want to sell five copies on Amazon, maybe you know, and that's no, that's no knock to people that self-publish because I may self-publish in the future. I'm just saying, I think a, a you know undertaking as serious as a book takes more than a weekend. Um, mm -hmm. And and these people that are selling the easy way in anything. There really isn't a big easy button to a lot of things in life. And and I'm glad it, it wasn't. So I, I tried to write one in 2018, y'all. And and uh, it was called Calling on the Hearts of Kings. It was about the beginning of I'm Changing the Narrative. And I was with a very successful book agent. She thought I would get multiple offers. I didn't get a call back. Mm. Uh, and I was devastated. And, and I realized now it wasn't a no. It was just a not right now. And I say that to people is that, a no doesn't mean a necessarily no. It may be just a not a not right now, an opportunity to reframe, learn more, may not be the timing, go back to school, learn a new skill, whatever. The only time a no is a hard no is in dating. <laughs> and then in that, it's a hard no because we don't want to stalk people. You know, like they say no, they say no. Right, get arrested. Oh. Right. We don't we don't want anybody to get arrested here. So I start I never forgot the dream. And people would say to me along the way, oh, you should write a book, you should write a book. And I'd say, I tried, you know, I wasn't salty, but I was like, I tried and I, I, I quote unquote failed, you know, it didn't work. And then I did a podcast with a pastor and and he stopped in the middle of the, the podcast and he was like, look, I just need to be obedient. And he was like, you need to write a book. And I'm like, I tried. And he's like, try again. And he hooked me up with his book agent and I had a book mm -hmm. agent within two days. And within four months I had a treatment and within six months I had a deal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I just want to actually, so I'll throw this to both of you guys, because Joe's written a book and Joe's a yeah. very prolific author with his um, blog. Um, I did hear in, in I, I've been reading a lot about listening to a lot about AI and the influence of AI in the world mm -hmm. in general, in media, sports, uh, et cetera. But there was an interesting point made, and this is not truly unique at this point, because I think it's been now bandied about a little bit the last month or two that if you are a public personality who is well published, broadly defined, so you've done like Joe, how long have you had your blog, Joe? Like 13 forever? years, yeah, since, 13 years. Since the 20th century? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. um, so yeah, if, if you have a lot of stuff that's been published or mm -hmm. if you've been, or if you have a podcast and you've done a lot of podcasts or you've done LinkedIn essays or you're really active on Twitter or Facebook or something like that, that if the language model could access everything, let's say, Rachel, you've done over these last, let's call it the age of self-expression, the last 15 years, that you could actually prompt uh, an AI agent like ChatGPT to actually get you the start of a really good book. Now, I'm not saying you're going to just publish, I mean, print it and publish it, but people are saying that's a really good way to potentially accelerate what could be a grueling process of just getting going. So what do you guys think about that? You think there's something to it? Well, and I'll tell you how I've seen people in the communication side use this really well. And it's, I, I am stuck on a thought 
and right. here are five points and give me back something. And sometimes it's really interesting, but it at least gets you going because I think what you find in the creative process a lot of times is it's easy to kind of hold the match together, but to light the match and make sure that the fire starts is really, really hard sometimes. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, there, there was a famous uh, uh, episode of The Odd Couple where Oscar Madison was stuck and couldn't write. And he went through like all these different things. Like, I'm going to pretend I'm a tree. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to fantasize about this. And and then eventually it was broken because of something stupid that Felix did. And and I think a lot of times that those things, not that most people listening to this who know who the hell Felix and Oscar are, but that's a different story. <laughs> I do, um, But I think that that, that creative process Sometimes it comes out. Now, ironically, uh, Tom, Paul Simon last week was had a, did a great piece on CBS Sunday with, with Anthony Mason, who talked about inspiration. Mm-hmm. And his he just put out an album, and he yeah, literally just a said, couple weeks ago, yeah, right. And he said it came to him in a dream. The name of the album came to him in a dream, and he woke up and told Edie Brickell that I have an idea, and just started writing. Called Psalm, the Psalms album. Psalms, right? yeah. So, right. so, um, so my opinion is that that whatever that kind of oomph you need. And if it's chat GPT to kind of get you started, as long as you don't use it, like we had, uh, I think it was in New York, those, the two lawyers who decided to base their whole case on chat GPT, yes. by the way, none yeah. of it was true, but that's right. okay. Never let the facts get away of a good story. But I think that all those things are, whatever kind of gets you going in the creative process, some kind can be really, really hard and you don't know where, where it's going to come from, which is, well, Rachel talked about it being kind of an open-ended curious learner because you have to use it, all the tools that you have. I think that's the best way to use it. I think so far anyway. Yeah. Rachel, what's your take on this? Uh, my, so my take is, is interesting as, as my husband um, went to Harvard and Georgetown and is very smart and helps a warfighter and his new novel transformative company. And he also has another company where he's cleaning up orbital debris like this you know i'm people smart creative smart my husband's like genius level smart he just took like several courses uh online to get himself familiarized with chat chat gpt ai all of the Mm -hmm. different machine learning right and then he was like all of it and he's saying how can it help my business and Mm -hmm. i i don't want to be caught sleeping and i i and here's the way it could help so um, if my husband, I'm making this this example, if my husband, who's already very successful, is saying, I want to learn it to get ahead and I want to learn it to to implement in my business, then I would tell everybody out there to to at least look into it, have some knowledge of it, be open yep. to it and don't, you know, the whole, the whole book, Who Moved My Cheese? You know, you've got to be open minded to things or you may get left behind and, and don't just say, you know, well, that's the way it's always been done. So that's the way we're going to do it. You know, no, you need to learn these things because it, now, listen, I will make y'all laugh. I did pay. I thought it was free. I was just messing around with this AI um, video deal or like, you know, picture app. And it had you put in 15 pictures of yourself. And I thought it was just going to like, I don't don't know what I thought it was going to (laughs) do. It it gave me back like 20 pictures. Some of them looked like me. Some of them look like somebody else, which was a little freaky deaky. Like I was like, I saved into my, in my camera roll just for like, you know, it's AI and it, and it didn't even look like me. And, but yet, you know, uh, so it's, 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 it's new, it's different, but I would say you need to have a working knowledge of what's going on and what's the next best thing. And, and the, you know, the other side of that is every time a, a, you know, a game changing 
technology has come along, it's going to end the world. You know, radio is going to end the world. Talk yeah. radio is going to end the world. Television is going to end the world. The printing press is going to end the world. And, and what I think we find is water kind of seeks its own level. And when we figure out how to use these things, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, to, to best help us as we kind of go along. I was thinking this week, Tom, you know, there was more unfortunate news with Dick Vitale now not being able to speak for another six months. Oh. And I had actually texted my friend Crystal Plock at ESPN. I'm like, I wonder if there's a way to recapture his voice so that virtually he could be typing in words and they could be coming out as a broadcast. There probably is. And, yeah. and I often thought of, you know, when Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter was the last person that Bob Shepard's name on the PA system, the iconic voice of Yankee Stadium, because they recorded it and they recorded his letters. And they actually, before Bob Shepard retired, they recorded him saying every letter and every number in case there was a way somewhere down the road to regenerate his voice using other names. And they haven't done it yet, but Jeter was the last one until the day he retired. Everyone else was Paul Olden, whoever the PA announcer was that day. But every time Derek Jeter walked to the plate, you heard Bob Shepard's voice. And right. I think it would be amazing, you know, for the Vince Scully library at some point or the Vince Scully estate to say, okay, Vince Scully is now going to go call a game in 2026. And what would that sound like? Yeah. Um, I, I predict that that actually happens. Like, yeah. so, so we all know about deep fakes that have occurred in the realm of, um, uh, images. We know that yep. deep fakes are occurring in video. We know that deep fakes are now occurring in music, and it will also be in mainstream audio. Because again, I'll, I'll point to Rachel um, as someone who's been a public personality on television, broadcasts, podcasting, etc. There's probably thousands of hours of her voice that is yeah. in a cloud somewhere, and that you've probably said 99.9 percent .9 of the words that you would use to speak in the future. Uh, in all due respect to vocabulary development, you know, at a certain yep. point, you just, you kind of, you have, you, you kind of have your artillery. Um, and that to string that together, Joe, with the input of, uh, or, or the assistance of AI to create something fresh vis-a-vis, -vis, let's say a real time, like a new baseball game, mm -hmm. that's not crazy. No. That probably can happen. So anyway, we digress yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Hey, um, I want to pivot to yeah. something. Because um, I think it's really important, and I and it came up again in a, a deep conversation or a deep conversation I was listening to last night. Uh, and this is June 30th. This was June 29th. Um, and as I mentioned to Tom at the beginning of this call, um, there was a cataclysmic, or not cataclysmic, but an, an earth-shattering shift in women's professional hockey, where it was announced this morning that uh, Mark Walter, the multimillionaire, and Billie Jean King Enterprises have purchased the rights of the Premier Hockey Federation. So there's going to be one hockey, women's hockey league. Um, but one of the things that came up on the call with the PHF players last night when they were informed of this was a, an amazing uh, athlete named Madison Packer, uh, who played in New York and has been a big proponent of mental wellness. And I was amazed when she got on the call, this town hall call with all these players, and was really telling them, if you have any issues, please call me because of the stress that's being put on. And I think it's now, there were 36 division one, two or three athletes who've taken their own life in the last two years because of the pressure that's been put on them. Rachel, talk a little bit about the mental, and I, I don't wanna call it mental health because my friend Aaron Taylor has always said, you call it mental wellness because you're trying to figure out how to make yourself better. Um, Talk about the mental wellness work that you do, especially with young athletes and, and how that's evolved with everything from 
the transfer portal to NIL to AAU over the last few years? And what do you tell people? So first of all, Aaron is also a friend of mine. I love that man. By the way, Aaron was one of the people we had on the podcast where you just said hello and he talked for 45 minutes. But that's another story. <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't, I mean, Rachel, was great, you actually great. should, if you know him, you should yeah. listen to that episode. He he yeah. really opened up in a way. In fact, Joe, Joe and I were kind of blown away because he really talked about being authentic. Yeah. He was talking about his many issues that he faced throughout his life. And it was one of the most um, intense conversations we've had on the show over yeah. the last seven and a half years. So anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah no, he's, yeah. he's, he's wonderful and he's saving a lot of lives and um, I'm so honored to, to be his friend and to be cheered on, you know, by him and vice versa. And I just think the world of him. Uh, so, you know, look, um, we, we're, we're in a, we're in a plague. We're in a pandemic of, of, of mental issues, mental in, in instability. Uh, and yes, there's a lot of pressure put on athletes from the outside, but there is a lot of self-imposed pressure where an athlete feels like at, at any age, but particularly the collegiate age where um, my, my family will be disappointed. My city will be disappointed. My friends will be disappointed. I can't take a break. I can't do this. And what I'm going in, I, I worked with over 60 colleges, many of them multiple times in the seven years. And what I'm going in there, particularly when I talk to men, is I, I, I'm redefining ideas of masculinity and, and helping to destigmatize. As a mental health advocate, what I'm saying is let's let's um, let's again the, the masculinity and the destigmatizing, but I'm the person that wants to point you towards therapy. I'm the person that that normalizes going to therapy if you need that. Um, so what I say to men is particularly, I'll give you this example. I'll say to men, you know, um, I'm not mad at your granddaddy or your granddaddy's 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 granddaddy. Uh, and likely they came, they they went to a war and they came home and they were two days later. I, I know war fighters that have done this, you know, they're sitting down on the table two, three days later and asked to, you know, pass the mashed potatoes and you just compartmentalize what you saw over there, what you did. Uh, and so this idea of masculinity has been passed down generationally for a lot of men, not all, but for a lot of men, and it's this idea that to be masculine and to be attractive, you need a man up, shut up, put some dirt on it, keep moving. All you have to do is, is point to an example. Let's say you have a twin boy and girl uh, in, the, in the driveway and they're two years old and they're playing. You know, if the little girl falls and scrapes her knee, what do we do to the little girl? Oh, little girl, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fine. What do we do to the little boy? Get up. Don't cry. Yeah, and and I'm not mad at anybody's parents for doing that. I'm just telling you the reality Mm -hmm. of, of what is being ingrained in young men from a young age. So men grow up and they think that um, it's not masculine to ask for help. It's not masculine or strong or attractive to, to be suffering. And it seems weak to cry, weak to emote, weak to do those things. And then we have men that are still stuck in, in, in um, you know, uh, ways that are, are, are uh, yesteryear for lack of a better term. And they're saying, you know, oftentimes a, a young man or even an older man will reach out for help and somebody will say, man up, you know, toughen up. Don't do that. Don't cry. And so I use the example of a turtle shell. Somebody sticks their head out of a turtle shell and finally asks for help. And then they get that kind of response. They put the head back in the turtle shell and they'll never ask again. And mm -hmm. so what I'm doing with men is saying, actually, you've never been as attractive. You've never been as masculine when you look at it like a toolbox and you don't have the Allen wrench to be able to finish the job. So asking for help is like going to get a dang Allen wrench. That's what it's like. And so when I, when a woman tells them, 
you're actually attractive and actually masculine, not to struggle alone and ask for help. We are systematically person by person, school by school, changing ideas of masculinity with men. Um, and, and the teachings go much deeper than that, but that's a top level view of what I'm telling them. Uh, and and yeah, we, we do have a problem. We have a massive problem and and more has to be done. More is being done uh, on a on a movement by movement basis. Aaron's doing great work. I'm doing great work. Same here. Global Morgan's message. Helinski's hope. Um, and the hope is in the future we can all band together and help more people. Yep. All right. I'll kind of a quick follow up on that. Well, it's not really follow up, but it relates a little bit in, in the way people express their stories and their feelings. You got into podcasting last year, twenty twenty two. Um, tell us about that experience for you. What have you learned? What do you like? What what do you what do you see as podcasting becomes increasingly? It's obviously become influential, but it, it feels like it's even more influential now as we get into a new election cycle in the U.S., where a lot of the candidates are choosing to actually spend significant time on podcasts. Yes. Yeah, so what's interesting about um, about that uh, about podcasting is is exactly what we were talking about at the top of the show and in our in our pre pre show uh, talk is is authenticity. I did a podcast with a friend and absolutely loved it, but we could never get on a consistent basis. So it would come out and then it would come out two weeks later and then might come out a week later. And so there's never consistency because he worked and I worked. We did a great podcast together, but I finally said, if I want to do this consistently, I can't depend on anybody else and I have to do that. So we started every two weeks and we did exactly what I was telling you guys about literally my podcast is me talking about what has struck me this week, what I'm doing, where I'm going, what's happening behind the scenes. And it's like a behind the scenes look at, you know, the movement, creating a joy start, you know, the joy starters movement, but my life, writing a book, speaking, what happened in the airport, what happened. And people love it. We're top 10% in the world. And, and there is not highly curated. It's not highly edited. It's, it's just, me and what we did learn was we needed to do it every one week instead of every two weeks um we're learning that for us at least but um yeah isn't that interesting you know um the authenticity that we talked about that's exactly what what carried over and the need at, at least what people wanted for me that might not be for everybody but that's what they wanted for me uh in a podcast there was um there's a great article um in the in new york times last week with megan trainer talking about how she found her voice through TikTok and, and was amazed at how using a medium like TikTok really expanded um, a, a musical career, which was pretty dormant for quite a while. Um, when you look at the audience that you want to reach, what are the platforms that you like to use? And are there ones when you say, I need to get this message to, you know, um, older men, so I will use this, or I'm trying to reach college students. So I'm going to use this. Are, are they traditional? Are they unconventional? And how do you kind of sort all that out? That's a good question. Uh, I use them all for the most part. I mean, the only one I don't really use is Snapchat. I use it for my, you know, my kids, but <laughs> I don't mm -hmm. really use that to create content, but Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, the one I need to use more is YouTube. I wish I'd jumped on that years mm -hmm. ago and, and been a little bit more, uh, you know, and pioneered, I guess, so to speak. And, and, but, but as we still put stuff on YouTube all of the time. And um, so I, I, I just find people where they are because there's somebody that's on Twitter. That's not on right. LinkedIn. There's somebody that's on TikTok That's not on Instagram. That's, you know, and so I, I, we, we've learned the concept a long time ago, a batch, you know, co uh, batch content, batching content, but also taking a video 
and posting on multiple platforms because you might find me on one platform and you may not even be on the other. And mm -hmm. TikTok is a newish one for me the last year. Uh, I would say what somebody told me, I went viral on TikTok to talk I gave to TCU and uh, a little clip. And what I recognize about Instagram, Instagram is like, somebody said this, it was so smart. Instagram is largely like swimming in a pool with people you know. Um, TikTok is like swimming in a giant pool with people you don't know. And some of them are mean. And at first I was like deleting comments or, you know, whatever people that were being mean to me. But then um, somebody told me, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Let people see you interacting with the trolls. And, you know, and I, I've always killed people with kindness, even people that are mean to me online. Um, I remember one time a guy, I was doing a, a basketball show by myself. The host had something happened at the last minute, my co-host, I was literally doing a three hour show national by myself. And I was nervous. And I think I like combined two words. And this guy went online. He was like, look at her, how stupid she is. She's, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I retweeted his tweet and I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much for the kind words. I, thanks. And thanks for listening. And crazy enough, that guy ended up becoming a friend in the business. Like I saw him at some games and he finally apologized and was like, hey, I'm sorry. And I'm like, it's cool. You know, like it's it's cool. And so um, that's my way of doing it. Everybody has different ways, but that's how I deal with the critics. Yeah. No, it's an, it's an interesting point because the last two words together that we would use to describe Twitter, the Twitter landscape is relentless joy. Um, many, <laughs> many would say it's relentless bullying, re relentless annoyance, whatever. Yeah. Um, but you've managed to kind of find a way mm -hmm. to deal with that because you were on some, pla I mean, a bunch of these platforms, I would, I would say the one that's probably most um, protected is LinkedIn because it's obviously more of a business network. Mm -hmm. But these, some of these platforms have just become so toxic. Um, and, and so how do you handle just in terms of the actual tactics when you do get attacked or questioned or bullied, what do you do? It just happened to me earlier this week. Some people posted, uh, there've been a ton of media around the book and uh, I just happened to see it on YouTube and I went to the comments and the person was like, too much Botox. She needs to quit getting stuff done. And I'm oh like, God. well, I'm like, and they were like, and she's, she's not so-and-so she's a narcissist, you know, and she's full of, and I, so I, 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 it was a faith-based uh, interview and I was like, well, no, I was like, I, it's all about God. And, and I said, that's where I get my confidence from. And then I said, secondarily, I've never had anything done to my face, but thank you for the kind words. And so um, I just literally try to do that or um, I will, I also, one time I posted reposted something of like Matt Walsh's, you know, like mega conservative, very, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Controversial. Yeah. Yes. And, and his people came for me for a week. They found me on, on uh, Twitter. They found me on Instagram. They found me on all these places. And I got a glimpse of what the cesspool of social media is like. I've never really done that because I was in sports one you know, and I had this occasional, you need to, I had a guy on a message board say that I need to pay a rat to chew the mole off my face. Like what the, what, you know, but largely I've never dealt with these things because I deal in sports or I'm a happy person and I post positive things and whatever. 
But uh, that did give me an insight into what it's like to be internet bullied and cyber bullied. And it was horrific stuff and mean stuff. And it was like, I'm a faith-based person myself, but it was like, you know, mom of three with a Bible quote, you know, saying, you know, all these terrific things to me and men. And, you know, there was like a deacon and a dentist and, you know, I'm like, oh my gosh, like you went and found me to say these things. So um, one, I, I think, I don't think, I know, I pick my lanes. I don't mm -hmm. go out there anymore and invite trouble. I don't go post things on you know, whatever, like I just stay in my lane and I putting out in the world through my book, through Relentless Joy, through my podcast, through all the different things. I'm just putting out in the world what I believe I'm supposed to put out in the world and whoever wants it can consume it. And whoever doesn't want it, like don't consume it, right. but I'll no longer be retweeting Matt Walsh tweets and putting something funny on top of it or sassy because that that I understand how people have mental instability based on being in cyber bullied because it was really awful. Yeah. Well, just, just retweet Steve Bannon stuff. That'll work out really well for you too. No. So, um, last question from me. Um, and we here on the, the 30th of June, 2023. And uh, Tom and I had talked about this off air, but ESPN had another round of layoffs today. Um, big names, Keyshawn Johnson, um, Jalen Rose, Jeff Van Gundy, um, all gone. From, from the platform. Um, as someone who spent a lot of time on that side of the microphone, what's your assessment of, of just as a person, as a fan, as, as a professional, um, where the, the media entertainment industry is from for professionals today, people who are speaking for a living? You, I remember, and I just had this conversation with somebody the other day. I remember when my, at my dad, before he passed away, I remember where I was, driving in Birmingham and I was just getting, I was probably five years in, out of college. And I remember my dad asking me what the plan B was because he was a finance guy. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to him, getting sassy with him and saying, there is no plan B. I'm going to make it, you know, like, because it was hard, you know, and, and, uh, and he had to send me home with food sometimes, you know, when I'd go visit him, you know, it was, um, I was working all the time. I'd go down there on holidays and work and interview and have to leave early and fly mm -hmm. here and do that. It's not a glamorous thing. And I remember saying there is no plan B but now I would tell people definitely to have a plan B. And I don't mean to quit. I mean, have other revenue streams, you know, DoorDash on the side or have an online store or have us, you know, whatever it is, right? There's tons of ways to, to do that, but you need to have something else because it is volatile now. I also would push people more and some of the amazing people, young people that work on your show, I would push people more in the creative side, create your own blog, create your own blog, create your own podcast, bet on yourself. What makes you different? What makes you unique? And, and go that route versus just relying on traditional media. I mean, newspapers are almost dead and that makes me really sad. Um, layoffs, ESPN's laying off. And the more and more people you see um, that are really interesting have created their own, you know, their own stuff and they're, and they're going with it and they're going out there and getting deals and getting, making things happen. And so I, I wouldn't, I'm not trying to dissuade anybody from being in sports media or media in general. I'm just saying now more than ever, you have to know who you are, be able to have the courage to walk to the beat of your own drum, but then also have other revenue streams. Cool. Yeah, that's good. Um, Joe, maybe we, I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. Um, so maybe we should get into our last couple of questions. Rachel, we forgot to warn you that we ask everybody who comes on the show to standardize questions. Both of them should be 
layups for you. Um, The first is, how do you stay smart in a world where we're oversaturated with media and information and knowledge? How do you keep up? Like, what are you reading? What are you listening to? You can name specific things or just give a general answer. And then the second is, can you offer some career advice to young, especially young people getting their careers going or or just um, thinking about how they advance? Yeah. So the first one is, um, I've always been a reader but I'm either reading or not reading. Okay. Like I'm talking about books, like physical, you know, books. And it started somewhere at the end of last year where I don't know what book it was. Uh, it was love songs at W.E.B. Du Bois and it's fan freaking tastic. It's 700 pages. It is. Oh, it's so good. And it kicked off the reading bug in me again. And I read because I was on the road a lot and, uh, and then I would read and then I put it a book down and I pick another book up. And so reading, one actually reading books um, are you suggesting in that example uh, fiction or just kind of reading for the sake for the for the love of reading the enjoyment yeah, of reading whatever right. it's stop trying to read books that you don't have an interest in because you think you should be reading those books <laughs> right. stop right. it unless you're trying to learn a new skill yeah. you know like I, I read that in i don't remember what book it was but they were talking about like some of the things that we think we should be doing so we do it we waste our one precious life doing things that we think we should be doing because mm-hmm. it looks poor it seems like the right thing to do and we're not interested in it figure out what you're interested in and read that i and very interested in civil war and world war ii and then sometimes you know world war ii fiction and then fiction books but right now i'm reading um i'm reading tina turner's book because i love nice. tina okay. turner yeah, like so i'm like that. learning things about her and then um i'm reading a book about a uh about a husband and wife that were were slaves and she was very light-skinned and they did oh. this epic they were called the crafts they were uh their last name was the crafts and they did this epic escape t- 10 years before the civil war and yep. she posed as a white planter a wealthy planner and she posed as sick as a male he pl- she poses a male yes yeah. exactly yeah. and he yeah. was her trusty slave and they made it to freedom and they ushered in and helped the abolitionist movement and it's yep. fascinating so reading um that book and it's called master slave husband wife also Love songs of W.E. Du Bois and also the Tina Turner uh, autobiography, all great things. So reading uh, is is big for me. I have to know when to put it all down because it can be too much. If I feel mm-hmm. overwhelmed, too much information, too many things going on, I just I know to put it down. Um, and my my advice for young people is a really a, a big one. It's a jewel, and it's for older people too, but particularly for young people. Oftentimes we get a no or we don't get a response to an email or something. And we just, we think it's dead. It's over with. They don't like me. What didn't happen. But first of all, people get busy. Okay. The, my hashtag was some people I work with the border patrol. They call me hashtag respectfully relentless. I am going to keep on not, I'm not going to bug you. It's not going to be every day, but I'm going to keep on until you tell me to go away. Until you tell me you don't want me that doesn't happen or whatever it is. So don't take the first not response as a no and don't take it personally. I would also say if you did not get selected for a job, here's a great one. Go to the person that you didn't get, if you got an interview and say, hey, listen, if it doesn't work out with the first person you hired, I I would love to be on standby. I would love for you to call me in the future. And if you want to be even bolder, if you really kicked it off with them and had a great rapport with them, you didn't get hired. 
say, is there anybody in your network that you might be willing to uh, to uh, recommend me to? Maybe it's not this job, but maybe they know somebody at the mm-hmm. at, at a at office, you know, two hours down the road or in another state. And oftentimes that extra little mm, is the thing that will separate you. And I know people who mm-hmm. didn't get the job, the person that they hired got fired and they called the person back and mm-hmm. gave them the job mm-hmm. because they were did that follow-up and they did that little extra little hustle. Yeah. That matters. That's really, that's a really good point. What what was the phrase? Relentlessly, what? Respectfully relentless. Respectfully and so, relentless. Funny, this whole relentless <laughs> word has has followed me my whole life. And even my my husband told me when he first met me, he was like, you know, we were having this very vulnerable conversation. He was like, you know, you're, you know, you're very, you're hustler, you're relentless. He was like, wasn't my necessarily like favorite quality. And he wasn't being mean. He was just, it wasn't my, you know, favorite quality of yours when we first met. He said, but as I watched you and as I saw your career and all the things you've, you know, you've accomplished, I recognize it's only because, or partly because, largely because of that relentless nature of yours, that you're a hustler and that you follow up and that you push. Yeah. And uh, and he said, now it's one of the things I love the most about you. And I've never mm-hmm. forgotten that because it was one vulnerable. And I think we, we teach on something called radical vulnerability and I'm changing the narrative, uh, which anybody can check out anything about the movement. I'm changing the narrative.org, the letter I, the letter M changing the narrative.org. But we teach on that. So I love that he was vulnerable and honest with me about how he felt about that quality that I possess when we first met. But then he said, Hey, it was something I ended up falling in love with you over later on. Yeah, Joe, we've so, seen that related to that one part of the, of Rachel's answer that that response from a lot of young people, they don't want to be annoying. They don't want to be too aggressive. They, they are not confident following up. And one thing I've, I've say in academia or in, in advising and with, with the program and even to various friends, especially young people, is as long as you're polite and respectful, you have every right to follow up until, as you said, Rachel, they say no. And and the, and that's not going to be rude. As long as you're polite and respectful, they will um, probably appreciate this relentless approach. And it's a, it's a subtle thing, but um, I've been involved generally in sales and BD most of my career. And I think about this all the time because I have to do this. I deal with this in my job. Mm-hmm. Uh, how you know how to do a follow up in a way that you're being intelligent, and if you can tie any um, pieces of information or research and be helpful to the person, like whatever. But yes. it, it but it really takes kind of a, a level of relentlessness and confidence that doesn't come naturally for a lot of people, particularly when you're younger and you don't have that. Uh, you know, kind of that established confidence yet. But anyway, that's a really good answer. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. And you can learn it. You can learn it. It's a learned skill. Mm-hmm. I think you guys would yes, agree. Yes, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And, and you know, I've, I've said to people, Joe's heard me say this before. I said, if you're doing a, an important follow-up for a job interview you just had or, or the last interview before you're going to find out, if it takes you two hours to write a good four-sentence response or follow-up email, spend the four hours. It's time mm-hmm. well spent. Do not rush it. Think it through. Think of every facet of that email, the words you're using, the way you sign off, et cetera. Um, anyway, it's a mindset. I think that needs to be established eventually for everybody. And you walk the line between obnoxious and relentless. I think yeah, but again, polite and respectful, it's you can't go wrong. Yeah. And 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 the other thing is, is a, a warm lead is so huge. Yes. I've learned that so much with selling books. And I know we're about to finish, but 
I, you know, I had to put them in the hands of a bunch of influencers and they were my friends and that was lovely. But the, some of the greatest influencing was done by regular everyday people that were like, I loved it. You've got to read it. It was amazing. And the same thing goes with a warm lead. You go back to that person that you struck up a, a rapport with in the interview and you, and you know, they liked you. Uh, and for whatever reason, they didn't hire you. And you say, Hey, we just keep me, keep my number. Exactly. Uh, no. You know, can I, can I send you my reel as I improve? If they tell you that you're not there yet, may I send you my reel in three months when I've got new footage? Would you give me your feedback? Yeah. All of it works. Cool. Rachel, last question. Most important. Where can people find you and all your stuff? Yes. At Rachel Barbeau uh, on any social media platform. Uh, you can put me in the, in the Google, uh, excuse me, in the, in the Google bar, but you can also put me in like YouTube and find a ton of videos, but my two websites that I, I and this is also important to me. I answer my own emails. There's not a gatekeeper that answers my emails. My email goes straight to me. I like it that way. It'll always be that way. Will there be somebody in the future that that helps me, you know, whatever, keep them compartmentalized? Maybe. But I read what people send me and I love feedback from people. I love talking to people. I've made best friends with people from social media. They've been at my wedding. <laughs> not kidding you, you know, like, um, and so any social media, but also I'm changing the narrative.org or rachelbarbeau.com. Cool. This was great. It was. So, it really was. Yeah. Really enjoyed it, Rachel. Thank yeah. you for your time, Joe. You can wrap us up. Yep. So once again, we've been listening to uh, The Cusp Show. I'm Joe Favorito, my co-host, Tom Richardson. Our guest today on the last day of June, the end of the first half of the year 2023, has been author, broadcaster, influencer, mentor, Rachel Barbeau. We can't thank you enough for joining us on The Cusp Show, and we will see you down the road.